Have we come to that point of the year where it's starting to feel a little bit like winter? Have you noticed that what you feel on the outside, you sometimes feel on the inside? Have you noticed that? That sometimes, you know, when it gets dark early and all of that kind of stuff, sometimes the outside begins to affect the inside? What if I was to tell you that the sun is shining inside of you as we speak? Three of us are happy about that news. Do you know that actually the temperature inside you actually is consistent because of the God inside of you? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, physical temperature. I'm talking about spiritual temperature. How many of us know tonight that God is always hot? God is always passionate. Come on, talk to me. God is always consistent. How many of us know that tonight? So whether or not the external is matching with the internal, I know that the eternal is consistent. God is consistent in his persistence and his pursuit of our hearts and our lives. Simply the most passionate person in this room tonight. Now, we've got some people here that look passionate. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but they sing loud. If you, you're sitting next to one of those, you know who they are. And they even wave their hands a little bit. I often think if you put them in bath and threw in a couple of sheets or something, they'd wash them for you. You know, there's that kind of movement going on. But, but the reality is that however passionate those people appear, they are not even a light or a candle in comparison to the passion of God. God is passionate about his people. Three of us are excited about that. The rest of us are playing catch up. And why is that important? Because as the winter nights draw near, we can so often be caught up in what I call sad syndrome. The days are short. The sun seems to be fleeting. And actually our souls actually start to be affected by the external. But I want to suggest to you tonight that actually the, the opposite needs to be true. That your internal world should affect the external around you. Is this not true? Greater is he who is in you. Does anybody believe that? Is, that? is that actually true? Greater is he who is in you. Is God unhappy tonight? So if you're in an unhappy place or even around some unhappy people, don't look at anybody at this moment. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Yeah, that the power of God inside of you has the capacity to change some things about you and even change some things around you. Isn't that good news? I need to come into partnership with that because so often I feel, even in meetings like this, we're very dependent on some external things to determine internal realities. You see, it's not whether or not the worship team are on form tonight or we sing the right songs or the pastor preaches from your favorite Bible passage. You determine, with the power of the God who is always consistent, you determine how blessed you are or not tonight. You have to switch yourself on to the reality of God. You have to come into partnership with his goodness. Even in your weakness, he is good. Amen? Is there anybody here tonight who wants to learn how to do that? Well, three of us are really excited and the rest of us are playing catch up. We need to do that because I think so often we're relying on external things and actually it's the internal that determines the external, not the external determining. Paul uses this phrase, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the reason why it's not okay for us to conform to any pattern other than the pattern of God's fullness and blessing and goodness is we have been called with Christ to be a transforming person. To transform situations. But first I need to know how to be transformed myself. 
So is there anybody here tonight who's had a slight transformation since you've come to Jesus? Three of us, we're getting four. Any advance on four? At the back, five, I see that hand. Somebody take a picture, we'll say, all these people got saved tonight on Sunday. All the hands are in the air. Have you noticed that you can't hang out with Jesus, the transforming God, without being transformed? That even in your worst moment, he has the capacity to reach you. That even when you are really protesting against all that he is and all that he wants to do, he manages to reach you. Aren't you grateful that God never relents? That he never shrinks back? That your mood doesn't put him off? Aren't you grateful? I mean, your mood puts some of us off, but a mood does not put God off. In fact, when you're broken, he's drawn more and more towards you. His transforming power has the capacity to change your internal world and absolutely transform your external world. I am convinced that the church needs to turn up in society and change the temperature. I am convinced that that's what we're being trained to do here on earth as we hang out with the God who is good and the God who is powerful and the God who is full of love. And all of that infects our internal world. And then I turn up in my marriage and I can transfer some of the internal into the external. If I'm in love, I'm able to love. If I received love, I'm able to give love. Amen? So we cannot rely anymore on the atmosphere that's external. We must tap into the kingdom of God, which is internal, and allow that temperature to set the atmosphere over our lives. Now, let me tell you a little bit what that looks like. God is good. Oh, don't do that to me in your country all the time. God is good. Yes, he is good all the time. But if we're not careful, we make that a little kind of hashtag from heaven and not a reality in the way we think and the way we live and the way we act. It's not enough just to say those things. We want to experience them. We want to know that to be true for us. We want God to turn up in his goodness and overwhelm us in our weakness. Amen. So God is good all the time. What if I was to tell you he's better than you think he is? He's more good than you have the capacity to imagine. Do you know God's goodness has healed your body? God's goodness has saved you. God is so good, he saved you. I mean, I wouldn't have bothered, but he did it. God is so good, he's transforming you. His goodness in you is changing everything about you. It's rewriting the story of your life and transforming the way you think and transforming the things you do and turning up in your finances and turning up in your relationships and turning up in the things that happen around you. God is better than you think he is. And that's the reality of the person that lives inside of you. So if God is good, should you ever have a bad day? They will come. Bad days will come. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible is this, it came to pass. Don't you love that it comes but it passes? Come on, wake up church. No matter how bad my day is, my God is better. My God is good. My God is kind. My God is generous. My, my, my glorious reality is that he who is in me is greater than anything that happens around me. And so I can't rely on the externals. I must draw from the internals. I must fan into flame the gift of his presence and his goodness inside of my life. And I must allow that to direct my steps and to lead me and to move me towards not just having days where the sun doesn't shine, but living in consistent reality that God is abiding in me. The hope of glory is in my heart. 
Even if there's gory around me, I've got glory within me. Has anybody ever had gory around you? Now, don't look at anybody when you use phrases like that. That's not helpful in church. The Bible tells us something about him that is absolutely essential for good Christian living. In fact, it's essential to understanding who it is we've been invited into relationship with. In Hebrews chapter 13, if you have a Bible, turn to it with me, please. In verse 8, it says this about Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, that Christ is the same yesterday, today, uh, sorry, and forever. What that really is inviting us to is the consistency of the reality and the personality and the goodness of God. God is consistently good. Aren't you grateful he never has a bad day? Aren't you thankful to God that he's not overwhelmed by the election? Come on, church. Isn't there something in your heart that says, I want to live out of that reality. I don't want to be troubled by these things here on earth, these temporal realities that come and go. They will come and they will pass. And there'll be a time towards the end of December we have a bit more clarity about who's in, in government here. But actually, above and beyond that which is happening on the earth, there is the consistent reality of the nature and the person and the character and the goodness of God. I need to draw myself towards that more and more. Otherwise, I will be caught up with all kinds of circumstances and situations. God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday. God was good in your past. Now, you weren't so good in your past. Now, I know some of you, you were really terrible in your past. But God was good in your past. When you were still yet a sinner far away from him, your heart was hard towards him, your mind indifferent to his reality, God was always good and consistent towards you. God has always been good. That's good news. Here's why it's good news. Because what's happened to us can work for us. Why? Because God is good. God will take the things that have occurred in our lives and he will use them to his advantage in our lives. In fact, can I say that some of those difficulties you had were the very thing that brought you to a place of surrender in him. You see, all things really do work together for the, the good because God is good, even in your worst day. Some of us have had bad days, haven't we? Anybody had bad seasons? Anybody having one now? God is good. It sounds like a cliche, but it's a truth. And you can connect with his goodness in the midst of your circumstances. He was the same yesterday. You know, when I first came to that revelation, I was astounded because I had a very difficult childhood. I come from a very poor family. I've been through all kinds of circumstances. And it really troubled me that God, when I recognized his truth and his goodness, didn't rescue me from some of my problems and hardships. Do you ever ask that question? God, where were you when? Well, I was in a meeting one night and I had this revelation that God was there with me in the things that I'd experienced. And I got really angry with him. I said, God, why didn't you do something about that? He said, look at your life. I've done everything about it, Simon. Everything that happened to you is now working for you. Every bad, ugly, difficult, terrible situation you found yourself in has somehow been woven into the tapestry of my love. And because you love me and you have a desire for me, those things have started to work out for your good. 
You see, the reality is what stands before you tonight is the sum total of my history. All that has happened to me, all that I've learned about God, all that's been transformed, all that's been translated to me has come under the auspices of his goodness. And even though there have been bad times and bad seasons, God utilizes those things for his purposes in my life. You see, when I'm talking to people, sometimes they say, I need counseling. Does anybody need counseling? Anybody need counseling tonight? Come on, admit it. I can see your faces. I think you do. And somebody's nudging somebody and saying, I think he's talking to you right now. You do need counseling. Do you know the only counsel that you need is that God is good? It's not that that takes away the brokenness. It just makes sense of it. You see, if God is good and I'm going through bad times, then God is going to make good the bad things that have happened to me. He's going to somehow, in his incredible way, turn bad into good. God is always in the business of recycling or upcycling lives. It's, it's a very fancy term now. It used to just mean renovation when I grew up. But now we upcycle things. Things that look like they're not become something beautiful in the hands of somebody who has a mastery in restoration and indeed reinvention. God has taken the broken, difficult, desperate, and gloriously terrible things that have happened to you, and he has used them majestically to transform your reality. You know, you walk differently as a result of what you've been through. You see differently as a result of what you've been exposed to. There's something that comes out of your mouth whenever you see other people in hardship that says, no, no, I know you think this is the last word on your situation, but the last word on your situation is that God is good. We don't need someone to talk to us about our past. We need someone to talk to us about our present. What God has done in this is absolutely majestic. Beauty for ashes. Anybody like that thought? Anybody been burnt by life? Come on, talk to me. Beauty for ashes. God does us something with nothing in our lives and makes it absolutely spectacular. When you look around you in this room, there's all kinds of stories of people who allowed God access to their hearts and his goodness has triumphed over their brokenness. Hallelujah. He has made you beautiful even in the ashes of your circumstances. He was there in your yesterday. God is here in your today. Don't let Boris Johnson put the fear of something into you. Or Jeremy Corbyn distract you. Or Brexit or Exit or just Weetabix or whatever it is that's taking up your mind and your thoughts and your heart inclinations. God is here. He's here. He was there and he's here. And he was consistent in the past and he is consistent in the presence. If God could take the worst day of your life and turn it into something glorious, can you imagine what he would want to do today? I mean, I don't know you very well, but you're a little bit further on than you used to be. Is that not true? Is there anybody a little bit more healed up than they used to be? A little bit more joyous than they used to be? Well, clearly not, because I didn't see it, you just said it. A little bit more hopeful than you used to be? So if God could work with that time in your life when you had none of those attributes, can you imagine how he can work with you today? He is the same yesterday and today. He is consistently good. Whom shall I fear? What weapon fashioned against me could prosper? 
What circumstance could rob me? For I am persuaded neither night nor death nor principalities or anything seen or unseen has the power today to separate me from him. I am grafted into the reality of Jesus Christ. His nature is a is accessible to me. His power is accessible to me. His love is accessible to me. His courage is accessible to me. His joy is accessible to me. Come on, wake up. There is nothing that can separate me from him. Neither life nor death or principalities or powers, neither Brexit or exit or elections or anything else in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He is the same yesterday and he is the same today. Now can I say why that's important? Because sometimes when we look back on our lives, we think the glory days were at the beginning. You know, when I talk to Christians, they say, oh, when I first fell in love with Jesus, I just would have traveled to the ends of the earth. Do you know, that may be true, but it's not actually the full truth. What God does when we first come to know him is he opens up our hearts in the most beautiful way. And it's like seeing the most incredible beauty for the first time. You are besotted with him, but it's meant to move into maturity. You can't stay smitten with God without walking with God into the future that he has for you. It's not living in the memory of what used to be. If indeed there was a honeymoon period, have a second honeymoon. If indeed you went through a season where you felt the blessings of God, seek him till other blessings start to materialize. Because if you were blessed at the beginning, you should be blessed today. In fact, the truth is you should have a deeper blessing today because you've got a catalog of blessed experiences to draw upon. God is the same yesterday, today, and he's the same tomorrow. That's why it's not permissible or even beneficial for us to worry about the future. Guess who stands at the precipice of humanity's glory but the God of glory himself? And we know how the story ends. He wins. He triumphs over judgment and sin. And he ushers in his kingdom with power and authority. And here's what's going to happen. Such is the work of God yesterday, today, tomorrow and forever that we will be with him as we start to be engaged with his glorious manifesto of making the world and everything in it brand new. God is good. It's good news to us tonight because I'm not always good. And the world in which I live in is less than good. And I find myself drawing from the external and not allowing the well of the internal reality of God to begin to shape my world. You see, if God is always good, that means his nature is always kind. God is always kind. And his character is consistent with his purposes. So sometimes people come to me and they say, Simon, what's the will of God for my life? I, I simply put it this, for you to love him with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And when you've done that, come back and tell us what it looks like. Okay, because we're all aiming for that. What is the spirit at work in our lives today trying to produce? That we would love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our mind and with all of our strength. In other words, that all of me would love all of him the way all of him has always loved all of me. So if, if you're trying to figure out the will of God, it's not about a job. It's not about a person. It's not about a location. It's not even about a ministry. Everything in God is consistent with his nature and his character. And that is that we would somehow, on this glorious adventure, 
Grow to love him the way he has loved us. Grow to desire him the way he desires us. And grow to reflect him in a way that is glorifying to his name. So God's will is simple. That you would love him. How are we doing on that? I mean on the scale of 1 to 10 are you down low? How low can you go? Is there anybody who feels this week it's kind of been like one to zero maybe or zero to three? Anybody around there? Well, Simon, I've not really loved him the way I can love him. That's okay because he's always loved you the way he can love you. Draw from his eternal love and stop trying to rely on your capacity to serve him and love him that way. And you will find that that love will grow in your heart. I find this a strange thing. I find that the more time I spend with him, the more time I want to spend with him. You see, my goal in life is simply this, that I want it to be harder to leave his presence than it is to enter it. I've been in a lot of times and seasons where God has moved powerfully in meetings, and I remember one time where we were seeing God just do so many things externally, just his goodness turned up in our meetings. But you know, behind the scenes, something else was happening that was far more profound than just his goodness turning up in our meetings. His goodness was turning up in our meetings. And I would hate to leave him to go and start the meeting. In fact, the worship leader used to get frustrated because he'd have to repeat the song about six times. And people would be knocking at my door saying, Simon, are you going to come down? Do you know how long, not just for those days, but for days when it's harder for me to leave his presence than it is to enter it. Where I'm so in love with him, so caught up with him, so engaged with him, that my heart is so given over to him that people have to knock my door and say, do you think maybe you could come out of the bathroom now? You've been 12 hours on the throne. (laughs) So God is always good. And that means I have access to his goodness. He was there in my past. He's there in my presence. And he awaits in my future. All the time consistent in his nature. All the time available to me. And every plan that he has for my life, is that I would come under the auspices of his great goodness. You see, here's what I've figured out. I'm sharing some things with you from my heart, and I hope they're of value. His consistency and my persistency partner together regarding our destiny. Let me say that to you again. His consistency, is he always good? And my persistency, that is coming to him consistently, desiring him as best I can, Partner together regarding my destiny. That actually my truest destiny is not that I arrive somewhere, not some locale or or some environment, but actually that I arrive somewhere where the way I live my life reflects and honors the God who has pursued me. And how does God bring us into that kind of clarity? Well, I believe he does it through prophecy. God speaks into our current situation He speaks into our present, inviting us to partner with him in pursuit of that reality until it becomes something that we can say at some point in our lives has become history. Have you got any memory of something that was once a prophecy that's now your history? Has anybody got a memory of that? That God promised you something and it came to pass? Anybody here been waiting for Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright? Some of you look a little uncertain about that question. Okay, did you pray that God would bring the right person into your life? Come on, talk to me. Come on. 
Yeah, did he? No, somebody said. <laughs> so here I am waiting. <laughs> but not yet. Not yet. Come on, let's be hopeful. Not yet. Here's what we do. We forget so quickly that prophecy has now become history. There was a time when things weren't the way they are, but God has done such a work in and through us that we look back and we realize that he's taken us quite far. There was a time when we stood this side of what he promised, and we had no idea how we were going to get there. We didn't know where to begin, how to pray, or what to say, or how to act. And sometimes when we look back across our lives, we can see the golden thread of his consistent reality, because he who began a good work in you has carried it on, and carried it on. This is a little dance step. And carried it on. Carried it on. And you were minding your own business and so was he. The business of his kingdom in you was working in and through you even though you had no clarity or indeed sense of reality on a day-by-day basis. Sometimes I look back and I think, God, how did you do that? How did you do that? Let me tell you a story. I met my wife when she was 14 and I was 24. Now, that's not the best start point. Don't worry, we weren't dating when she was 14 or anything. I can see that the alarm bells are going off. Let me tell you the back story. There was a young man who led me to Jesus, both he and his partner, led me to Jesus. They had lived a gay life, and they had reached out to me when I was a young gay man. And actually, many years later, they became Christians, and they started to reach out to me again. And on one Thursday night, I I got down on my knees, and I invited Jesus into my heart and in my life. And and from that moment on, this young man, his auntie was in a residential care home, and he was moving back to the States, and he said, Simon, will you go and visit her? And I said, yes, because I was a good Irish Catholic boy, and I always did what I was told. And so I went to visit her. I turned up at this residential home, knocked the door, and I said, is it possible I could see a lady called Molly? Now, the people looked me up and down, because it didn't look like this then, do you know what I'm saying? I had hair the size of a house. That's all I'm telling you. It was big, big hair. And I think if you're going to have hair, have it big. That's my motto in life. Have hair at all, have it large. Go large. Supersize my hair, Jesus. You're going like this. It's coming to you. You know, the stronger your anointing, the higher your hair. In the kingdom of heaven, if you've got flat hair, you don't stand a chance of changing the world. (laughs) If you've got no hair, may the Lord bless you. May he bring the increase. Not just beauty for ashes, but hair where there's no hair. He can do it, he can do it. He can call springs in a desert place. You, you stand a chance. Okay. Anyway, I turn up at this residential care home and I say, can I see Molly? Now, I was head to toe in designer wear and I was so full of self-importance. And as I said, the young lady answered the door. She looked me up and down and she said, well, you better come in. That's never a great start, is it? When people say, you better come in. That's kind of like saying, we don't really want you. We'd rather you didn't, but you're here. So I came in, I'm standing in this hallway and uh, they go up, first of all, (laughs) to see if Molly's okay for me to meet with her. And uh, she comes but she doesn't come down, she's in a wheelchair, but she sends somebody down to say, yes, send me up. So I'd never met this lady before, and I go up to this, um, this room, and she's sitting in the room. I don't know what it is about older people, but you know, they don't have the light on. And, and so I'm looking in the room, and I'm thinking, is she there, is she not there, is it a vapor, is it a person? 
who is this person? So I come into the room and I say to the assistant, the young lady who was helping, I said, could you turn the lights on? Is she in? Is she in? She said, yes, she's in. And so this frail lady is sitting in her chair and, and I go over to her and I say, hello, Molly, my name is Simon. And she said, I know who you are, dear. I know who you are. And so I, I thought she thought I was famous because I had been on telly. It wasn't that. Her nephew had told her I was coming. And so I sat with her and, you know, it was like, it felt like a week, but it was only a minute. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know where to begin talking to her. And then she started talking about Jesus. She started talking about Jesus. Now, I had only just given my heart to the Lord. And she started saying these things like this. I can't wait to be in heaven with him. You know, I'm sitting there. I've met this lady for the first time. And I'm thinking, I hope she doesn't go while I'm with her. <laughs> However this works, I hope it's not going to happen now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm happy that you're excited, but could you wait till I go? Is it possible I could say goodnight and then you go? I don't want to be associated with that. Can you imagine that? <laughs> you imagine that? He came to visit me and my auntie died. <laughs> so, and she starts talking about Jesus. Well, I tell you, the room just filled with the presence of God. Such was her love and delight and devotion. And so a little knock comes on the door. And it was my 14-year-old wife. She wasn't my wife at 14. Okay, but she was 14 and she became my wife. And it was Jane, and she just said, would you like a cup of tea? Because she was Welsh, you know, she was Welsh. <laughs> That's a Brummie accent. Wake up, will you, please? So we like a cup of tea. And I said, I'd love a cup of tea. So she went off and she brought us both a cup of tea. And she said to, to Molly, she said, oh, Molly, you're going to really enjoy Simon. He, he, he's a singer. And Molly started asking me questions about singing and different things. And she just went. Well, years passed. I started attending a church, which is a miracle in and of itself, because many of them wouldn't let me in, to be fair. Now they won't let me out. They're frightened in case the news escapes. And, and, and Jane and I met again, and she had been out in Tenerife, and I was worship leading in a church, and she came back to the church that she had attended as a childhood, in her childhood, and she had been restored to relationship with Jesus. And you know, she was drop-dead gorgeous. She looked a lot better than when she was 14, that's all I'm saying. And of course, she was smitten with me instantly. <laughs> she was one of those young ladies in the church that every man wanted to, well, not every man, but the single ones wanted to marry. And um, I had to fight for her attention. And uh, we had a mutual kind of friend. Her cousin was my friend. And so I got to hang out with them all. And love began to blossom and grow. And I, I look back on that, and I see that maybe... Just maybe the God of yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever was being good even when I was separated from him, distant from him, uninterested in him, and completely rebellious in my heart. You see, sometimes what's a prophecy can so quickly become history, and you don't even notice that God has done something glorious in your heart and in your life. About two, three weeks ago, we celebrated 25 years of marriage together. That's a, remarkable, isn't it? 25 years. If she'd murdered me, she'd be out now, wouldn't she? She'd be out now. You're one breath away, you know, from prophecy being fulfilled. You're one breath away. One prayer away, one moment away 
Do you know why I can say that with some confidence? Because God is consistent in his character and his nature. And the plans he has for you are to prosper and to bless you. So, so don't believe the propaganda of the enemy. You know, whenever that stuff happens and you think it's never going to happen, it can't possibly happen. Here's what the Bible says about those moments. It says, God will make a way where there appears to be no way. Now, how many of us in this room have seen prophecy turn into history? Give me a wave. You look back and you see that God was at work in your life in spite of your best attempts to ignore him. Yes? Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And the good news is when we look back, we're energized to live today with a little bit more clarity that he's at work in our lives currently. God is at work today. Now, you don't need to feel anything. We're not asking you to shout out hallelujah, although some of you could do with doing that. It's not about your reaction. It's about his faithfulness and his commitment to you to finish the work he has begun in you. So please, don't look around you and think that that's the final word on your story. God, who was there yesterday, who turned the bad into good, is here today, who turns your blindness into sight. And you'll look back at some point in your life and you'll see that he who prophesied something over you, spoke a word of life inviting you into a future you didn't know how to enter or get to, has been faithful and kind and generous to you and has accomplished something. You see, I think God's greatest joy is when prophecy becomes history. I don't think he's looking for applause whenever we're walking through the corridors of that. But sometimes when we reflect back over our lives, we can see that he has been faithful and true. And that his word does not return to him void, but accomplishes what he sets it out to do. So in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, the prophet Jeremiah speaks to us about that kind of clarity in the way we live our lives. And he speaks in the first person. What he's doing is prophesying over a people. A people like you and I who forget. People like you and I who've had a past. People like you who are not living with a current sense of clarity in the present. And a people like you and I who don't always know what the future will look like. But we have this crazy glorious confidence that somehow God can work it all out. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is God speaking to a people. A people not unlike you and I. He says... For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I don't know how you feel about that, but I wasn't that comfortable when I first got that message. Let me tell you why, because I had a few plans myself. Is there anybody else had a few plans for your life? See, I hoped that God would just bless my plans. <laughs> have you ever tried that? Come on, tell the truth, you're in church. Have you ever just said, God, would you not just bless my plan? My plan looks okay. My plan looks like it might come from you. I know it doesn't, but it looks like it might come from you. My plan is about my life being good, God. Could you not just bless my plan? When I first became a Christian and I heard that God had plans, I was a little bit gutted because I had a few myself. I had some goals and some things I wanted to achieve. Do you know what I wanted to be? Famous. <laughs> Do you know what happened to me? I became a minister. And now I'm infamous, which is like famous, but not as good. you know what I'm saying? You know, I wanted to be on telly. So 
Prophecy. <laughs> Prophecy has become history. Come on, celebrate with me. <laughs> the difficulty with submitting to this is that we somehow, in some way, think we know better. Here's the thing I learned. God knows more about me and what will fulfill me than I do about myself. That's the truth. I used to think it was X, Y, and Z, but he invited me to A, B, and C. And who would have thought that that would ever satisfy? Who would have ever thought that being involved in this environment would mean far more to me than any other thing that I ever dreamed or hoped or believed could come to pass? And the other thing to say about my plans is they were all about escape. Have you noticed that, that your plans are never about anything but escape? Okay, you want to escape where you've been? Here's how we do this. If you've been poor, your plan is to get rich. Why? Because you've been poor. We've done that. Got the t-shirt and the scar. Okay, so we're going to be rich. Thinking that rich is going to satisfy. You see, it doesn't matter whether you've got little or you've got much. Your truest sense of self can never be satisfied by something external. It can only be rewarded by that which is internal. And that is the presence and the person of God. Paul uses this phrase, I have learned to be content. In other words, I'm satisfied with my life, whether I have much or I have little. So my plan was to get out of poverty. You know, here's the irony of it. When I became a Christian, God told me to give everything away. <laughs> See, his plan, it wasn't my plan. My plan was to accumulate as much as I could because I didn't want to have lack. His plan was to meet my every need, whether I had much or I had lack. I think his plan was better. Do you? I think it was superior. What do you think? I think it truly was. You see, because there are times and seasons in life where you have lots, and there are times when you have little. And if your sense of purpose and identity and reward is based on something so temporal as wealth or earthly possessions, then you will always live a very insecure life. So God put something secure inside of me. He put the wealth of his presence in my heart and in my life. And sometimes, you know, I look back and I think, I can't believe what God has done. I can't believe what God has done. One of my biggest problems in stepping towards ministry is I didn't want to be poor. You know, I went to this meeting. I got convicted by the Holy Spirit. I've been running away from God as far as ministry was concerned. I worked for the church as a volunteer. They gave me the grand total of 23 pounds a week. And all the tea I could drink. Trust me, I drunk as much tea as I could. I like to exploit a situation. 23 pounds a week, I couldn't afford to. I had a Porsche car. I couldn't afford to insure it. I couldn't afford to drive it. I mean, those things pass everything on the road but a petrol station. And so this car was sitting outside our house. And I said to my mom, said to my mom one day, but I'm serving the Lord. She said, do you think he could put a few quid in the tank for you? Because in her mind... She thought being a Christian meant that I should have all of those things met. You know, God stripped everything away from me. 
I'm not trying to boast it myself, but I felt convicted to give away a house. Don't worry, it's gone and there's nothing left for anybody here. Everything that I thought, the plans I had for my life, God unraveled them. And he superseded them with his plans. Do you know, over the years we've been married, I have bought, renovated, and sold at ridiculous profit about nine different properties. If I'd held on to my plan and held on to my life, I would never have seen the hand of God working in and through the ordinary and every day of my life. And trust me, it was hard work, but it was worth it. It was worth it. God blessed us with the right property at the right time and we sold it for the right money. Do you know what the right money is? Just loosely kind of communicated profit. Just in case you're wondering what was the right money. Twice as much as we paid for it. In three years. Now we're in a new season because we can't sell the house we've got. But I just know that whenever this changes it's going to go for millions. Touch wood. I'm just kidding. God's plans are to prosper and to bless us. His plan isn't to bless your plans or to prosper your plans. You've got to step under the auspices of his glorious leadership in your heart and your life to give you hope and a future. You see, that's the working out of prophecy. And, and it's not about material possessions. It's not even about the things you want or you don't want. Here's how you can have a hope. You can have a hope that is steadfast and sure. You see, God speaks to me. I'm over here. And he speaks to me from over here. And his invitation is not to get me to something, but to bring me deeper and deeper and deeper into a love relationship with him. And it's that relationship that satisfies everything in the human soul. It's that relation that supersedes any plan I could have had. It's that relationship that brings me to a place of reward in an internal manner that means that what's happening externally doesn't have the same impact. God's plan comes out of his character. His character is good. And no matter how I get to where I'm getting with him, his goal is that I would love him as he loves me with all of my heart with all of my mind and with all of my strength. So any plan he has for you comes from that place. His intentionality is to bring you into a deeper place of fellowship and connectivity with him. It's not about stuff. It's not about success. You see, you can have everything in this world and lose the one thing that matters more than anything, and that is relationship with God. You see, what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and lose themselves somehow on the journey? So God connects the dots. And here are the dots. I'm going to pick up on this probably next week. He connects the dots of our history with our identity. And he turns it into his destiny. Let me say that to you again. He takes the dots of our history. Anybody got a history? Yeah? With our identity, which is relationship and fellowship and friendship with God. And somehow... Those two things, working with his purposes and his goodness, turn into something of a destiny for us. I never imagined I would ever be doing this. But you know, I'm so grateful to God. I am so grateful to God that he allows me to be part of this wonderful church. So grateful to God that he allows me to be connected with some wonderful people. I'm so grateful to God 
that I'm invited to speak into people's hearts and lives. I'm so grateful to God that even my worst seasons in life, he has turned them around and he's given me some wisdom, it's a little, and some experience and that's a lot. And he uses them consistently to help other people. I'm so grateful to God that he took my plans and he blew them apart and he superimposed on my life. I was willing for it and wanting for it to happen, his plan to prosper and to bless me. I'm so glad that God took my history. It's been good, it's been bad, and sometimes it's been absolutely ugly. And he has used it for his glory. He has redefined my reality. I am a son of the Most High God. I'm no longer an orphan, tossed about by trying to please people or find my way in this world. I know to whom I belong, and I know that he is consistent in his pursuit of me, even if at times I'm inconsistent in my pursuit of him. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. And I know that my history and my identity are all part of God's great tapestry to open up his destiny for my life. For he has plans to prosper and to bless me, to give us, us, a hope which is not circumstantial, it's internal and eternal a hope and a future. Do you know that the work of the Spirit inside of you is preparing you for all that God is going to awaken in you in the days that come to head? To ahead. And I believe there are some of us in this room tonight who need to hear these things because we have maybe lost sight of the golden thread of God throughout our lives, the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And he will always, always want to bring you to that place where you love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Don't ever get pickled about the will of God. That's the will of God. So every circumstance attached to it is an invitation to know him. Every problem underneath it is a promise of his abiding love and affection in the midst of it. Every adversary, every adversity that comes your way is a gateway to a greater level of glory and connectivity with the God who is rewriting your story. You may have plans, but his plans are much better.